Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. So you better put your seatbelts on. Uh, Christology, uh, just Jesus in general. We're going to talk about the Incarnation. You ready for this? The hypostatic union. Yes. And then we're going to talk about, here we go, we're going to learn a little Greek. Kenosis. Awesome. God sacrificed the Lamb of God, the resurrection, the ascension, and the second coming. Those last three are really important for us as believers. And we'll see what each of them the Bible says actually represents not just an event, but something as it relates to you and I personally. Okay, Christology. Jesus Christ is fully God, yes. And being God, Jesus Christ is all that God is. The Bible verses are down there. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Uh, but about the Son, he says in another uh, in verse 8, your throne, O God, see the Son is God, okay, lasts forever and ever. We are, we are, and then when Jesus had this big run-in with the, with the Pharisees again in John 10, uh, he says that he's the Son of God. And they, like, pick up stones, and they're ready to kill him. And Jesus says, well, what good work did I, are you killing me for? And then he says, and then they said, well, we're not killing you. We're not stoning you for any of these good works, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So, you know, you, you can hear uh, there are different faith systems out there or, or, or skeptics, and they'll say, well, nowhere does Jesus claim to be God. Well, he did. You know, remember we talked about how you understand Scripture historically and grammatically? Historically, when someone said, when Jesus said he was the Son of Man or the Son of God, everybody knew what that meant back then by Jews. We don't know what it means. We think, oh, Son of Man, that means he's like another guy. Son of God, you know, well, I'm the Son of God. But no, 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 no. They knew what that meant, what those terms meant. It meant that he was fully God. And they were ready to kill him for claiming that. Okay. By the way, being fully God, I want to say this too. Everything that we said about God the Father, all his attributes, all his character truths, the same for Jesus. It's the same. They may have a different role, different responsibilities that they kind of divinely meted out to one another, but they are one. They are one. Okay, Jesus Christ is also eternal and timeless in essence, and by name. 
But as for you, the prophecy goes in Micah, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. And this is the big one. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. There's no beginning with this ruler. He's from forever. Jesus said himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus Christ is also the agent of creation and its sustainer. We talked a little bit about that too. Colossians, Paul wrote, he said, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things. How many things? What things? All, all things. things. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a verse that's in the Jehovah's Witness translation. By the way, they have their own translation. Uh, it is not respected by almost all academics because of the way it's translated. They translate it in a way that tries to alleviate problems like the Trinity, like Jesus being God. But in, in this one here, they say that Jesus is the first born, the first created thing through which everything else is created. But if that's true, then this verse is wrong. Because it says that through Jesus, everything was created. So Jesus couldn't have been created. He was the one that created everything. Okay. All right. Well, how do they read John 1, 1 then? Oh, um, yeah, you know, I'd have to take a look at it. But it, it uh, part of it is uh, they put in, instead of is God, in, in our translation, in their translation, they drop in the preposition, the indefinite preposition, pronoun, I'm sorry, of. Uh, the word was a God. Okay? That is not, it's not in the Greek, and it's not a, a, an accepted, academically accepted way of translating that passage. So they, they manipulate things. And they don't do it consistently. Because they don't say, for instance, in another place where Jesus said that he's the bread of life, they don't say he's a bread of life. Okay. They can choose. All right. Um, so he's the agent of creation and the sustainer of creation. All things were created by him and for him and before, and that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We talked about the super electron a couple weeks ago. Know, that no one's ever seen an electron. We've seen the effect of it. And so they just, it's a theoretical truth. And we're pretty much sure it's there, but we've never seen it. We've seen the effects of it. We've seen, actually, now they've seen the path of it. But one guy said, well, maybe there's only one electron holding everything in the universe together. And I'm like, I like that idea. That sounds very theological. Sounds like Jesus. Um, okay, the incarnation of Christ. Jesus was incarnate through a virgin birth. <clears throat> so God became man. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, virgin birth. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. <clears throat> I haven't heard people talk about this too much, but the Trinity is in there. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the one to be born is holy. <clears throat> uh, Jesus is fully man, Matthew 16, having a body. Since the children have flesh and blood, the writer of Hebrews says, he too shared in their humanity. <clears throat> so, he wasn't sort of human. He wasn't mostly human. Um, he was all human. Fully human. Having a full body. A body that could sneeze, a body that could cough, a body that could smile, cry, the whole thing. <clears throat> the incarnation of Jesus. More evidences of his incarnation. He has a soul and spirit. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. <clears throat> Jesus, as an incarnate person, had human frailty. <clears throat> we read in Matthew that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus gets hungry. <clears throat> Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired. This is the woman at the well episode. Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, and he sat down by the well. In fact, what did he ask the woman? I'm thirsty. Yeah, I'm thirsty. So all the frailties that you and I have, he has. He was able to die. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So his body was able to die. Now, how did all these things happen? Well, let's talk about the hypostatic union. <clears throat> so the hypostatic union says that he is truly God, 100%. He's truly human, 100%. And that these two natures are united into one person. And each of these na na natures remains completely distinct. So in other words, A plus B didn't equal a new C. Okay? And in fact, I think I wrote that wrong there. A plus B should equal A plus B instead of AB. I mean, there's, there's no difference. The, the humanity, the 100% full humanity of Jesus existed simultaneously within Jesus as did his divinity at exactly the same time. So, you know, what did Jesus do <clears throat> that um, allowed this to happen? I mean, if he's God, I mean, why don't we see him the way, the way um, Daniel did, you know, where he fell down and died almost, or maybe did die, and, and he had to be revived. Or John on the island of Patmos when he saw... The radiant Jesus, you know, fall, he fell down and, and, and almost died, and he had to be revived. <clears throat> I had a woman come to me number many years ago, really great lady, a uh, young, young gal in her 20s, and she said, you know, uh, Wayne, she goes, uh, uh, I've been seeing a mystic priest on the south side of Chicago. I'm like, okay. And she said, uh, no one believes me. She goes, 
This guy does. Uh, I see Jesus every morning. I said, oh, really? I mean, like you're reading the Bible? Or, no, she goes, I have to see Jesus. I talk with them. I sit down. I have coffee. And I said, really? <clears throat> and she goes, yeah. She goes, uh, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I talked to this one mystic priest, and he's the only one that believes that I actually see Jesus. And I said, well, describe it to me. And she goes, well, he's just a normal person. You know, and, and we have wonderful conversations. And I said, oh. <clears throat> I said, okay. I said, let me show you this passage of the uh, Gospel of, John, of uh, Revelation. Uh, Jesus saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus, and he fell down as if dead. I said, let's go to the Old Testament. Daniel saw the yet incarnate, glorified Jesus, and he fell down as if dead. I said, did you fall down as if you were dead? And she said, no. I said, then who are you seeing? Who are you talking to? Many years ago, there's a, a saint, Saint Martin, and I can't remember what the name of the town is right now, but he was a monk, and in his cell, this monastic cell, not a jail bar cell, <clears throat> he had a vision of Jesus come to him. And in the story, he, he, he recounts that the, Jesus came to him and said, you know, fall down and worship me. And um, Martin said, um, who are you? And he goes, I'm your master. He goes, but who are you? He goes, I am the son of God. Worship me. And Martin said, show me the wounds. And the apparition disappeared. Uh, a friend of mine was in New York, he was an evangelist, he was in Times Square, and some raving guy came up to him and started screaming that he was Jesus, the Son of God, and that he should be worshipped and all this stuff. And my friend said to him, show me the wounds. And the guy ran away screaming. Um, so, Jesus, um, what he did to allow us to see him, both humanity, which was easy to see, but divinity, which is impossible for us to see. Remember, God dwells in unapproachable light. And God says that anybody who sees me will die. Okay. So what happened? How did this happen? Well, in, in Paul's letter to Philippians, there's this amazing passage where it says that Jesus literally emptied himself. And so kenosis is the Greek word meaning to empty. And it means, despite being God, Jesus Christ willingly emptied himself, becoming in every way like a man. This is called kenosis, or the laying aside of his divine privileges and glory. So what he did, it was like, it was like, it, it, the picture here is like, his glory was like a, a, a cloak or a robe, and he laid it aside. And he had divine privileges as God. I mean, he didn't have to sneeze. He didn't have to cough. He didn't have to be hungry. He didn't have to be thirsty. And yet what he did was he laid aside all that stuff to be completely and fully human. And I think it's pretty telling that when Jesus, when it talks about Jesus, through remember Paul is, is inspired to write these words, that God is telling us 
But to become like us, he has to be empty. That's how, that's how different, vastly different, you and I are from God. And yet through the crucifixion and through faith, that divinity dwells in you. It dwells in me. In fact, not only that, but it's, it's one day the cloak that Jesus laid down, his glory, he's going to give to us and we're going to be glorified. The holiness that, that, that was his always, that was just his perfection and morally and in every possible way, he has given to us. Well, we still worn around like dust balls and dirt bags sometimes. <laughs> But the reality is that in Christ, we're holy. And in fact, when you read the uh, <clears throat> Philippians, it says that we are glorified. We are already glorified. So it's, a, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, the, we're the opposite of the kenosis. If the kenosis is the emptying of Jesus, once we come to Christ, we're the filling. He fills us. Powerful, powerful, powerful. So, Jesus never stopped being God, but he willingly chose to limit his divine capacities and capabilities. And the, that one line from uh, Philippians 2.7 says, He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Okay. Any questions about that? Kenosis, hypostatic union, divine, human, together, same thing. <clears throat> okay. So here are some of the heresies about Jesus. Jesus is not a blend of some third substance in which he is neither fully human or fully divine. So it's not A, B, A plus B doesn't equal half A and half B, or any other partial combination. <clears throat> Another heresy is that Jesus is not human and then divine at different times. This was an early thing. Jesus was divine until he got on the cross, and then he left this poor guy hanging by himself. Okay? That didn't happen. Jesus died on the cross. Uh, Jesus is not uniquely crea a created being. That's in part what uh, Jehovah's Witnesses think, and, and, I, and um, <clears throat> so do the Mormons, that he's a unique being. But he, if he's not human, he can't die for humans. Okay? If he's not God, he's not perfect enough to be a sacrifice for humans. So he has to be both fully human so that he could die as our representative and fully God so he could be the Lamb of God, pure, perfect. And God figured out a way to do that together so that you and I could sit there and scratch our heads and go, wow. Pretty amazing. <clears throat> Why is it fair to say that most belief religions just get hung up on the role of Jesus? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, different religions or cults, um, they either accentuates one little aspect of a Bible verse, uh, they'll limit or distort the picture of Jesus, or they'll highlight the, the, the importance of an individual who's leading them. Yeah, it's kind of some of the, the characters. I think there's like, I think one side I studied, there's like 10 of them, but I can't remember all of them. But 
but usually those are, that's one of them for sure. That they, they distort who Jesus is. I mean, if you, if you speak to a Hindu, a Hindu will say, oh yes, you know, Jesus is a Christ. He is an avatar. He is, he is an image of, of the divine gods. You know, so they, they just kind of like bring them into their language. Um, Buddha, you know, uh, Jesus would be an enlightened being. And you know, enlightened beings go to be consumed or absorbed into this this power, this, this emanating power that's over the universe, and they lose their personality. <clears throat> well, there's special people say, no, I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to go to Earth and I'm going to try and enlighten other people. Like Buddhists would say, that's what Jesus did. He just refrained from going to his nirvana so that he could help you and people like you and I. So they, they define Jesus in their own terms. <clears throat> Any other questions? <clears throat> so Jesus, God sacrificed for the Lamb of God, and there's a lot of stuff in this. But Jesus was born sinless. <clears throat> so we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who had been tempted in every way, just as we, yet without sin. Sin is something that comes through the Father. <clears throat> so Jesus was the seed of the woman. Okay? She was the seed of the woman. And as it turns out, the Father was the Heavenly Father who was sinless. So there was no sin passed on to Jesus as a human being. He was sinless. <clears throat> Uh, Jesus is called holy. So the holy one to be born in you will be called the Son of God. Holy means that you're always holy. It didn't mean that somewhere along the way you changed your ways and all of a sudden you became a holy person. Well, that means that you have unholiness in your history. Okay? So when we receive God's holiness, we receive, this is important, not only a perfect future that is flawless and blameless, Okay? But because holiness is eternal, we get Jesus' eternal holiness, which means now our past is flawless and holy. There's no sin there anymore. It's holy. But that's not our holiness. It's, it's a gifted holiness to us. Oh, this is a big one. Being begotten, not made, his incarnation being a work of the Holy Spirit, having no human father to transmit the sin nature. That's what I was kind of talking about. But a lot of the cults have a real hard time with this word begotten. Uh, the King James uses begotten. The NASB uses, uh, of 1995, uses the word begotten. The Greek word is monogenes. And it means, only, it means the only one of its kind in a relationship or a unique one of a kind, or the one and only. So it doesn't mean being born. It's talking about it being unique. Jesus is unique. That's the word monogenes. You know, mono, one, only one. Genes, like genesis, like genetics, like the kind. He's the only one of his kind, and that's what the word begotten means. 
It doesn't mean that he was born. It doesn't mean that he was birthed. Monogenes does not mean created or birthed into being. There's, there is only one divine father-son relationship. But just say to yourself, but I'm a father. I'm, God's my father. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. Yeah, we are. But we're not monogenies. Okay? We're not unique. We are adopted children of God. Okay, so that makes us, the, that, that's our um, relationship as a, as with God as our Father. <clears throat> the, the, the begottenness, the one-of-a-kindness that God has with his Father is completely, completely unique. <clears throat> so the King James Version uses begotten. The NIV uses one and only in that same verse. Uh, the NASB 1995, that's the translation from 1995, uses the word begotten, like the uh, King James. But the 2020 version uh, translates monogenies as the only son. So you see they're trying to move their way to something that's a little more ex accurate in its explanation, or less confusing with people. Okay? <clears throat> All of God's other sons and daughters are adopted, not begotten. They all have fallen fathers. We all have dads that messed up. Dads that were sinful. That sort of makes sense to me. I know it's kind of like not. Okay. Jesus was tempted. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things yet as we without sin. <clears throat> so we know that he was tempted. That's the first thing that happened after he went through the baptism. He was led by the Holy Spirit out into the, <clears throat> the wilderness where he was tempted. We saw the three temptations that are recorded. He committed no sin. It says that he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. That's 1 Peter 2.22. You and I have never met holy. The apostles walked around with Jesus, who is holy. I mean, you know, we walk around people and say, wow, that person's really an amazing follower of Jesus. God bless them. I wish I could be like that or whatever. We've never walked around with holy. We walked around with people today who have received holiness. And we see bursts of that holiness in their lives. Before we've just never walked around with someone who is it must have been thrilling. Uh, it must have been terrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was one of a kind type of experience. Jesus, oh, this is a hard one. Jesus was not capable of sinning. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Well, we say, if Jesus can't sin, then it's kind of like, you know, because uh, you know, he's tempted, but he can't sin. Well, that, that would sound right. But I read a, um, a guy who did a commentary. I think his name was Mirafiore. Uh, he did a commentary on the book of Hebrews. And when he came to this passage that talked about Jesus being tempted in all ways, but without sin, he said something that I thought was really profound. He said that means that basically... 
Jesus was the only human being who ever completely, 100% resisted temptation. All of us resist most of temptation, or some of the temptation, or we don't resist it at all. Jesus is the only person who actually felt the weight, the power of sin fully, because he's the only one who resisted it and would not take any part in it at all. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. Powerful, powerful. Uh, he lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father, fulfilling all of the law. Uh, Matthew 5 says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So he was perfectly obedient. And unlike you and I, at least not like me, I mean, there's times when I'm not obedient. Candy can attest to that. Um, but not right now, please. <laughs> and, um, um, and even when I'm obedient, I kind of like, there's times when I have to work my way up into obedience. You know, I'm not like, I'm going to obey. I'm like, all right, let me think about what's that going to cost? <laughs> what's that going to mean, you know? And, and now, then, well, okay, you know, or, oh, I should just do it. You know, Jesus is great. The Holy Spirit's with me. He's got his plan, you know, and then I kind of work myself into it. I go ahead and do it. Jesus didn't go through any of those. He did it. He just like, yes, this is what my father wants. This is what my father wants. Okay. Uh, Jesus had complete faith in his heavenly father. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus had complete faith in his father. And we're learning, we're growing in that faith. Uh, as a result of his sinless state, Jesus qualified to be the Lamb of God. The next day, John uh, 1, 29, uh, he saw Jesus coming, he would be John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's 1 John. I don't know, just for, for the heck, did you see the little asterisk that was there? Um, those words would either not be in the, in the translation, it's not in the original, or they're in a different tense. And so what we did so that we understand it in English, they either insert those words so that we can understand the flow of the sentence, or they change the tense. In this case, it's all past tense, so that we can understand it better. And just to make sure that they're not pulling any wool over anybody's eyes, they put a little asterisk in it. So they, then you know, you can go back to the beginning of the Bible and you can see what all these little abbreviations and things mean. Um, so, uh, Jesus, um, oh yeah, and he's the propitiation, which is a term that's in the Bible, which basically means the satisfactory, the satisfactory offering, or the satisfying offering. It's, it's exactly what was needed to, to, to assuage God's anger, his wrath for mankind's sin. And that was Jesus. He's completely satisfied. There's no second thoughts on God the Father. When he sees you or me, and he sees that we're in Christ, 
He's like, so glad you're in the family. So glad you're in the family. Uh, so propitiation. And then Jesus died a physical death as a sacrifice for all sin. Uh, there, uh, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. He gave up his spirit. There's all these other verses. People saw him dead. They buried him. So we have all this evidence that, that all these things have actually transpired. Um, there are people who believe that he swooned on the cross. And he passed out. And he was near death. But then was revived. Okay, so he never really died. There are other people who think that um, he died a physical, uh, it's hard to explain, that, that he was on the cross and he died, but he didn't really die. It was kind of like, you know, it's the, the thing where God, the, the, his divine nature left him and let him die on the cross. So, I mean, there's all these different things, but what we know is that Jesus, as a human being, physically died. He had to die. Because he had all the sin of the world on him, and sin has the power of death. Okay? So he died. He died a physical death. Now, it turns out that, you know, the miracle wasn't so much on Easter when he was raised from the dead because he was holy. The bigger miracle is that he could actually die because he was holy. And it shows that even though being sinless, he embraced our sin and became our sin, which is, I don't even know how to explain that one. Became our sin, and because of that, he was able to die, to let himself die, and give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. The resurrection, how are you guys doing? Doing well? Okay. All right, I'm glazed over. <laughs> uh, Jesus resurrected from the dead. And it says in Corinthians that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. So he was resurrected. Um, to prove, this is important, to prove the removal of our sin. And in Corinthians again, it says that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. So the resurrection proved that the sins that Jesus died for were all forgiven. Because now he could just take up his life. Death had no more power over him. He could just step right out of the tomb. You know, people say that they didn't roll the stone back, the angels, to let Jesus out. They rolled the stone back to show him he was gone. He was already gone. He didn't need any stones rolled back. He was alive. Okay. And also, he resurrected to prove our justification. The, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So when he came back to life, the, the, the term is justified, it's just, justified, done nothing. That what happened is that not only were our sins were forgiven, but the justification that we were now forgiven those sins was proven by the fact that he rose. It was effective. And now we are justified. And one day, even though you and I may die, we're going to be raised too. There's nothing holding our bodies in the grave anymore except the timing that God has when he's going to raise us all up. That great getting up in the morning day. 
build Thong says. And also to proclaim his deity. To be resurrected to proclaim his deity. And uh, Romans 1 says, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, resurrection from the dead was body. It did happen. It proved the removal of our sin. It proved that we were now justified. The price had been paid. We were bought for that with that price. And it also proclaimed that Jesus is God. Okay? I'm going to try and get some stuff. Get this really done real quickly. Oh, this is really interesting. Flavius Josephus wrote, uh, this is called the Testimonium Flavianum, uh, from his Antiquities of the Jews, which is a history book. He wrote this. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accepted the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And when, upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to the cross, those who had first come to love him did not cease. So even though he died, the people who believed in him and loved him kept moving on. He appeared to them, spending a third day of restored to life. For the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, are still to this day not disappeared. This is an extra-biblical account that someone saw the resurrection. They verified the resurrection. Jesus ascended. He ascended bodily back into heaven. So heaven is not a spiritual realm. Heaven has dimension. It's time. It's, you know, it's... Uh, it's a physical place. And there's a physical body there. In fact, there's a couple physical bodies there. So there are not disembodied spirits up there. Even when we die, apparently it looks like we get a heavenly body, a temporary body, until our bodies are resurrected and glorified and united with our soul and spirit again. Um, so um, a couple of Bible verses there that describe it. And he also uh, ascended to take authority over creation. So, so he was for above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's interesting because what that's saying is that he's the head of the church and he's going to be head of everything. But he did it for the church because the people of the church are actually going to be over everything. Okay. Uh, he ascended to take authority for the church. There's the Bible verse. He ascended to become our high priest. Uh, and there's the book of the, the Bible verse in Hebrews. And to prepare a place for his followers. A mansion of many rooms. And his second coming. Well, you know what? I'm going to let us go because it's 10 minutes to. I'll tell you what we'll do. We're going to stop here and um, we'll talk a little bit about this next week. Um, we'll talk about his second coming because there's two things that kind of, in my theology, my eschatological theology, 
that there's a rapture which is different than the second coming. Um, and actually, it's going to be interesting because I think something of that part is going to be in the sermon today too. Don't know if I agree with it, but that's okay because no one knows. <laughs> there are three basic ways of working at it, and everybody's got their own point of view, and they're all biblical. So. Anyway, let me just show you this. You can leave right away if you want to. Um, but I want to kind of just show you this. Oops. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the permit showed his handiwork. My king is the only one to whom there's no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his solar supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the free, he's preeminent, but he's the lostest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the final necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the supremacy of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the captain of the 
Thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCM. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.